you grab your Bibles and stand with me for our scripture reading this morning, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be reading the first nine verses as Pastor Bruce starts a new series. First to the Lord, our focus this morning is going generous. So we will read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with great urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. Uh, to the earth, and, and we pray that as we learn in a series, and that we would first give ourselves to you. Be with Pastor Bruce as he brings the message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to be back. Myself and our, my family were on vacation for the last two weeks, and uh, over the holidays, in fact, we spent one of those weeks on vacation out in Colorado. I call that place God's country. Not that this isn't God's country, but Colorado is a beautiful state. We love the mountains. In fact, it's one of our favorite places to go as a family. And, uh, and so I appreciate you asking, uh, how was your vacation? How was it, you know, you enjoy yourself? And uh, so I appreciate your thoughts, concerns, and questions, and asking. And, uh, and so, yes, thank you for allowing myself and our family to go and enjoy two weeks of vacation over the holidays here. But I must say, it's always great to be back here at Glenwood. Uh, There's no place like home, amen? I hope you feel the same way. And uh, today, we're beginning a brand new series, as you can see from these posters around the auditorium, a series called First to the Lord. It's a series based on our text that Zach read from us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So we're going to spend the next four weeks basically looking at, studying these two chapters that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. How many of you have heard the story about the pastor talking to his farmer friend? He asked the farmer, if you had 100 horses, would you give God 50? The farmer said, certainly, no problem. The pastor asked the farmer, well, if you had 100 cows, would you give God 50? And again, the farmer said, well, sure I would. Then the pastor asked, well, if you had two pigs, would you give God one? And the farmer said, now cut that out, pastor. You know I have two pigs. (laughs) Now, if we're honest, that's how most of us kind of feel a little bit within our hearts about the subject of giving and even a pastor talking about giving in a church service like this. We would rather he just kind of avoid it altogether. But it's hard to avoid the subject of money, even in church. After all, some say we spend 50% of our time thinking about money, and we spend most of our life trying to make money, and then the rest of our life trying to spend it. So it's not surprising that the Bible is filled with so many stories about money how to make it, how to spend it, how to save it, and yes, even how to give it away. Our lives, if we're honest, are consumed with money. In fact, in the first three Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses has to do with the idea or the subject of money, either directly or indirectly. Sixteen out of 38 parables that Jesus told in the Gospels Money is involved in those parables. And there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible that relate specifically to our finances and possessions. You say, well, what does all this mean? Well, here's what it means. 
You can't read God's Word very long without realizing that what we do with our money is very important. Jesus knows that our hearts are intrinsically connected to our money. That's why he devoted so much of his teaching to this critical area of life. He dealt with money matters because money really does matter. It matters to us and it matters to God. In fact, Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 is not only well-known biblically, it's proven practically. It's a verse coming up on the screen. You know it. Perhaps you know it. Perhaps you've heard of it. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the issue in play here for us is not just dollars and cents. It's not just bucks and budgets. There really is an orientation of the heart that is tied to the use of money. Now, with this in mind, let me just state up front what the goal is for the next four weeks. The goal of this series, First to the Lord. This goal comes right out of God's Word. In fact, Zach read it for us in the text. And the goal is this. Very simply, is to grow or to abound or to excel in the grace of giving. That is our goal. Another way to say it is to go generous as a lifestyle. We want to grow in the grace of giving. We want to learn to go generous as the people of God. To go generous as a lifestyle. Look what Paul says. Let me show this to you in his word. Look what it says in chapter 8, there in 2 Corinthians, verse 7. And Paul says... But as you abound in everything, some of your translations may say excel. Abound, excel, we're going to use the word grow. As you abound in everything, as you grow in everything, and then he gives some examples of that in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, in your love for us, see that you abound or grow in what? In this grace also. Well, what grace is he talking about? Well, he's talking about abounding in the grace of giving. Why? Because as we're going to see throughout this series, giving in the, or growing in the grace of giving is a tangible proof that we know Christ as our Lord and Savior. In fact, it's not only tangible proof that we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, but that we love Christ as our Lord and Savior, according to verse 8 here. So Paul wants us to grow. He wants us to grow as Christ followers. And so if you're one here this morning, and you possess to know Christ, you give testimony to that, you say, yes, I am a Christ follower, then this is for you. It's for me. And Paul's saying, listen, as a Christ follower, here's an area that we want to grow in, just as we grow in other areas of our Christian life. We want to grow in the grace of giving. Paul wants us to grow as Christ followers in what Jesus said, in what, where it's recorded in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to what? To give than it is to receive. So, what is generosity anyways? Since we're talking about the subject of growing in the grace of giving, going generous, what is Generosity. Well, let me give you a simple definition. Generosity at its core, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle in which we are willing to share all that we are and all that we have for the kingdom of God as a demonstration of God's love and in response to God's grace. Here's the issue. Here's the deal. You cannot, we cannot separate our acceptance of God's grace from the practice of of generosity. We are generous because God was first generous to us, freely giving his life for our sake. So now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we seek to imitate the one who gave himself for us by going generous as a lifestyle. But let's be honest. And I have to be honest with myself here. We're all in the same boat, I think we can admit to. Going generous is in direct conflict with our American culture, with our society at large. Our culture says, hey, listen, we are responsible for our own success 
And therefore, whatever success you experience in life, whatever success you find in life is ours to keep. It's mine to keep. And because it's mine to keep, it's therefore mine to use as I desire to seek my needs and to fulfill my wants in life. But as followers of Jesus Christ, listen, we embrace a a much different perspective. We don't live by the world's perspective, our culture's perspective. We live by an eternal perspective, a biblical perspective. We understand that everything we have, everything we are, is not just something we've earned or that we deserve. It is a gift of God's grace. And it's to be invested in the advancement of his kingdom. This is the heart, basically, of Paul's message here in these two chapters in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But to fully understand what it means to go generous, in fact, to fully understand these two chapters here, chapters 8 and 9, you need to know something about three different churches. You've got to know something about three churches. The first church you need to understand about is the Jerusalem church, or in other words, the church at the city of Jerusalem. It was the first church uh, after Jesus resurrected. It's the church that, uh, that was established there. It was primarily a Jewish congregation. It had been hit hard by a famine. And as you can imagine, a famine created desperate situation. In fact, it created some significant needs within this church body, within this congregation. So it would be like we're the Jerusalem church, and all of a sudden, within our region here, we're in a drought. Oh, we are in a drought. We're in a famine, and now the people are experiencing difficult situations. Financial situations, difficulties, if you will. That's the Jerusalem church you need to understand about. This other church you need to understand is actually a group of churches that are called the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches. In fact, Paul refers to them right off the bat in verse 1. Did you catch that when Zach read that for us? And the Macedonian churches were a group of churches across the northern country of Greece. And as, I, as we will see, these churches were also in a very difficult financial situation. And yet, what we learn from Paul here is that this, these group of churches, the Macedonian churches, responded generously to help out this church at Jerusalem. They gave a love offering to them to help them meet their needs. So you got the first church, Jerusalem church. you got the second group of churches, Macedonian. The third church you need to understand about is the church that Paul's writing to right now. It's called the Corinthian church, or the church at Corinth. It's a church in the southern part of Greece. It's a church founded by Paul during his second missionary journey. And Paul is writing this church, or to this church, to encourage them to go generous in their love offering for the church that's in need in Jerusalem. See, did I confuse you, or do you got it? Three churches you need to understand, all right? Three churches are in the mix here. You have one with a great need, Jerusalem, one that responded generously to the need, and who was that? The Macedonian churches, and one that was preparing to give to the need, which is the church that Paul's writing to, the Corinthian church. Now, with this background in mind, what I want to do for the rest of our time here is basically look at five principles Paul gives the Corinthian church, and by the way, he gives these principles to us today by application, for going generous as a lifestyle. So let's look at these five principles for going generous. Number one, going generous is rooted in the grace of God. Going generous is rooted in the grace of God. When you read 2 Corinthians 8, there is one word, and hopefully you caught it when Zach read it for us, one word that just kind of jumps or leaps from the pages of the Bible here. Did you catch that one word? It's grace. In fact, that one word, grace, is repeated four times in these first nine verses. It's a key word. Notice what it says in verse 1 again. Look at it. It says, moreover, brethren, or in other words, pay attention, church at Corinth, 
we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The word grace here means that their giving, the Macedonians' giving, was motivated by grace. But it also means much more than that. It means that their generosity, and now we're talking about the Macedonians' generosity, was rooted in the grace of God itself. So Paul, immediately from the very get-go here, he wants us to know something. He wants us to understand something. Did you see that? He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you. And so immediately he wants us to have an understanding and know a key concept here about grace and about generosity. And what he wants us to know about grace and generosity is they're connected. Going generous begins with grace and it continues by grace. The words grace and generosity are kind of like two peas in a pod. You can't have one without the other. Or like P and J. How many like P and J? Peanut butter and jelly. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Oh, my word. In fact, you know, how many took your lunch to school when you were a kid? Nowadays, kids don't take their lunch to school. They buy it all the time. You know, I took my lunch to school every day from junior high through high school. You know what kind of sandwich I had every day? My mom made me peanut butter and jelly. You, you, and you can't have one without the other. It's the same thing here, like grace and generosity, all right? You can't have grace without giving. So what is grace here that Paul's talking about? Well, here's my favorite definition of grace. It is God giving me what I need and not what I deserve. That's grace. And if you're a parent, you've all extended grace to your kids at one point or another. So teens, tell your parents thank you. Thank you for what? For their grace, right? We can all say thank you for grace. And there's no better example of grace than the forgiveness of our sins through the sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ. It was completely undeserved. It was a complete one-way blessing that we did not deserve, and yet God gave it to us anyways. Why? Because it's what we needed. But grace is not only a description of a past event in history. Listen to me. Grace here that Paul's talking about is also the power of God at work in your life. It's the power of God displayed in your life. It's a work of God in you that others know cannot be done in your own power. There's no way. Listen, you can't do that on your own. That's an impossibility. So what's the answer for it? What's the reason why? And there's only one reason why you can demonstrate this. It's because of God's grace at work in your life. It's his power at work in you. Verse 1 tells us, that the generosity of these Macedonian churches was a clear evidence of what? Of God's grace at work in their lives. Listen, they were already in a very tough spot financially. But they still chose to give generously. So they're giving in spite of their own needs, was obviously something that God did in them and through them. In other words, they could not have given like they did. They could not have gone generous if the grace of God wasn't at work. On their own, and I'll be the first to raise my hand on this, on their own, just like on my own, they would have been selfish Scared and self-sufficient. But instead they were generous, which was the fruit of God's grace in their lives. So, here's what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know up front. He wants us to know something concretely here. Going generous is all about God's grace at work in your life. And there's no other explanation for it. It is about the grace of God at work. It's motivated by grace. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. It's empowered by grace because we're given the ability 
to trust God for our needs. And it results in grace. As we're going to see in the weeks to come, people are blessed because of the Macedonians' generosity, and they were blessed because of it. So going generous, listen, this is what's so cool about it. It actually now reflects, it demonstrates, it shows the grace of God at work in your life and in my life. That's an awesome thought. I get to show the grace of God through my generosity. Now, if you have yet to experience the grace of God in your life, if you have yet to experience the beauty of God's grace in your life, then can I be so bold as to say, don't give a dime. Don't give anything to God. Why? Because until you first experience God's saving grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, there's really no reason for you to give at all. This is why going generous, this idea here, this concept of going generous as a lifestyle, it really belongs to those of us who have been radically changed by the grace of God through our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And until you experience this radical change in your life, you have no reason to give. But if you've been radically changed by God's grace, let me tell you, you have all the reason in the world to go generous in your life. Amen? Yes! So the first principle we learn in going generous is rooted. The foundation is the grace of God. Have you experienced it? Do you know it? If so, are you showing it? Are you living it out? Are you letting God show His grace through your generosity? Number two, the second principle we learn is going generous is motivated by personal example. It's motivated by personal example. Now, to motivate the Corinthian church here, the church that Paul's writing to, it's what we're studying here, to motivate the church at Corinth to go generous in their giving for the needs of the Jerusalem church, here's what Paul does. He uses the generosity of the Macedonian churches as an example. In other words, Paul hoped that the story of generosity in one church would motivate another church to go generous. It's kind of like the story about the barnyard rooster that wandered away from the farm one day. Must be farm day or something here. And he discovered an ostrich egg. Well, he was amazed at how large it was. So he rolled that egg all the way back to his barnyard. And then he called all the hens together. And he said, now girls, I don't want to be critical. I just want you to see what they're doing down the road. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's saying, Corinthian church, hey, you believers, this church here at Corinth, pay attention to what's going on here at the Macedonian churches. Take heed. Look at their example. And so that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks here. Now, here's what's really interesting, though, in what Paul highlights in the example of Macedonian churches, because it's not what you would think he would highlight and emphasize. What he highlights and emphasizes in their example is their joy and their generosity. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, this is unconventional. Why? Because the Macedonians, what were their circumstances? Man, they were living in severe difficulties in life. And yet, Paul highlights, in the midst of their severe difficulties, he highlights their joy and their generosity. And I'm going, whoa, that's not normal. Look what it says in verse 2. You don't believe me? Look at it. He says, and he's talking about the Macedonians here, look at it. He says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Joy and generosity. Now that's the exact opposite of how most people respond in the face of difficulties. Uh, yeah, that's me. 
the normal response in the face of difficulties is what? Well, let me show you what mine is. It's fear and it's hoarding. Anybody remember Y2K? Go back a few years to Y2K. What was the normal response? Fear and hoarding, stockpiling. Now, you'd think the money for this love offering for the church at Jerusalem would come from some wealthy churches that could easily just afford to give. Hey, here's some money, no big deal. But that was not the case with the Macedonian churches. In fact, they were anything but wealthy at this time in their lives. Paul tells us they were in deep poverty, which means rock-bottom destitution. And they were also in a great trial of affliction. The idea is they were being crushed by life. And the reason they were being crushed by life, more than likely, was because of their devotion to Jesus Christ. They were living out what it means to be a Christ follower in the midst of their hostile society. And the culture was putting pressure on them. In other words, these Macedonian believers, they were dirt poor and they were being picked on. Their great affliction and their deep poverty made life very difficult for them. And yet, I know it's mind-boggling, it's mind-blowing. And yet, their situation, their circumstances did not hinder them from going generous. In fact, they did what most of us would consider impossible. They gave, Paul says, with joy and generosity. Now, no computer can analyze that, can it? No computer can compute this and analyze this amazing formula. In fact, let me give you a little formula. It's not in your notes. Maybe you want to jot it down. Great affliction and deep poverty plus God's grace equals joyful generosity. Now, Here's the deal, folks. Listen to me. All of us, at one point or another in life, will experience some type of affliction and some type of, I'm not saying poverty necessarily, but hard times financially. The whole world does. All of us do. But what makes the difference is the grace of God. Without the grace of God, we never truly experience the joyful generosity in the midst of great affliction and deep poverty. It just doesn't compute. But that's the power of God's grace in our lives. It enables us to give regardless of our income and regardless of our circumstances. So what do we learn from this? What should we take away now? Because this took place with the Macedonian churches, a congregation not too unlike us here today. So what should we look at as their example and walk away with and take home this morning? Well, let me give you three things I think we ought to learn. Three things we ought to learn from us. Three things this teaches us. Number one, giving is not necessarily related to income. Giving is not necessarily related to income. Why? Well, because the Macedonians were financially destitute, and yet they gave. The second thing we learn is giving is also not necessarily related to circumstances. Well, how can you say that, Bruce? Again, Go back to the Macedonian circumstances. What was it? They were physically afflicted. Now, let's stop for a moment here. Let me have your attention. Let's stop for a moment and let's consider our own situation. That's the Macedonian situation. Deep poverty, great affliction. But let's think about our situation here in America in the last four years. We're in a four-year economic recession. Everybody knows that, right? And some of you have lost money in the stock market. You've lost money in your retirement. Some of you have even lost your job because of this four-year economic situation or recession. Most of us have lost equity in our homes. And perhaps some of you are even in danger of losing your home. And the bills are piling up on your kitchen table. Whatever your situation may be, listen to me, you're not alone. You are not alone. The Macedonian believers, they understand 
your situation. They've been there and lived that. They were financially destitute and physically afflicted, and yet they responded with joyful generosity. So how have you responded? How have I responded? Have you responded with fearful hoarding in these last four years, or have you responded with joyful generosity? You may be wondering about right now. Maybe going through your mind. Man, these Macedonian believers were dirt poor. How did they give so generously? How is this possible? And isn't it interesting, Paul hasn't even talked about the amount of their giving, has he? You won't find it in here. The amount they gave, how much they gave, because that's not the issue here. It never is. So how was this possible for these Christians, these believers in Macedonia, to give so generously and so joyfully at the same time? Because they understood our next principle. Look at it. Because they understood giving is essentially related to the heart. It's related to the heart. So they freely gave with joyful generosity. These Macedonian believers understood that giving really has nothing to do with one's income or one's circumstances. Rather, giving is all about the heart, listen to me, that's set free by a full surrender to the Lord. And when the heart is free, folks, there is no limit on how much we will give. This is why Paul means, this is what Paul means when he says in verse 3, look at it. Look what he says. For I bear witness that according to their ability, in other words, what he's saying is, according to what they had, if they had $2, they maybe gave $2, or they gave a dollar, $1.50, whatever the case may be. And then he goes on in verse 3 and says, yes, and beyond their ability. In other words, beyond their their own, what you would think would be logical, they were freely willing. The Macedonians, though they were dirt poor, they gave as much as they could according to their ability. And then it says they gave beyond their ability. Now, whoa, blow me away. Because this sort of giving can only happen when the heart is set free and fully surrendered to the Lord. But it gets even better. Look at this. When the heart is set free, we actually look for opportunities to give. We don't run from opportunities to give. We look for it. We're anticipating it. You say, where do you get this at? Look at verse 4. Paul tells us in verse 4 that the Macedonians were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift, that is the love offering, and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. What saints? These saints at Jerusalem, this church that was hurting and in financial need. You say, no way. Yes way. They were begging Paul for the opportunity to give. Now, I've been the pastor here for over 10 years. And I have to admit that has never happened to me. No one has ever yelled out in a worship service, Oh, stop! Hey, Bruce, let's take another offering. I want to give some more. Has yet to happen in my 10-year history here. Perhaps today will be the first. No, I'm just kidding. No pressure. Now, I don't know about you, but my first response to this is probably yours. That's just mind-blowing. I don't understand that. That's amazing. Because what seems so incredible to us, get this, was so normal to the Macedonians. Going generous is a blessing when the heart is free. And the heart, get this, will never be free until we first give ourselves to the Lord. That's why this whole series is called First to the Lord. Which brings us to our next principle. Look at it, number three. Going generous is linked to giving myself first to the Lord. Here we come to the bottom line of going generous. And this is the key. Look what Paul writes about the Macedonians in verse 5. Look at it, verse 5, in your notes or in your Bibles. He says, And not only as we had hoped, but they, that is the Macedonians, they gave They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. 
That means they did not give out of guilt. Listen, these Macedonian believers who were physically afflicted and dirt poor, they didn't give out of guilt, they didn't give out of pressure, they didn't give out of manipulation. They gave because they wanted to, and they wanted to because they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, they saw their giving as an overall expression of their commitment to the Lord and His ownership of their lives and all that they have. Listen to some verses of God's Word. Psalm chapter 24-1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy 8-18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20 reminds us, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And of course, that price was what? The death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. In other words, what Paul's reminding us here about these Macedonian believers is that everything I am and everything I have belongs to the Lord first and foremost. He created it. He made it possible for me to earn it and to have it. And it belongs to Him. So what does this mean? It means that going generous is more about giving myself first to the Lord than it is about giving financially. Why? Because giving financially, listen to me and listen carefully, giving financially is simply an expression of my commitment to God and His ownership of my life. It's a way I express that. It's a way I acknowledge that. So what is the implication then of what we've learned so far in these first three principles? Well, that brings us to the fourth principle. Look at it. Going generous then is evidence of spiritual growth. As a Christ follower. It's evidence of spiritual growth as a Christ follower. This principle comes straight from what Paul writes in verses 6 through 7. Look what he writes. Notice it. He says, so we urge Titus, that was his uh, co-pastor, not co-pastor, but co-ministry labor that was helping him out. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace. And what grace are we talking about? The grace of giving. That he would also complete this grace of giving in you as well. But as you abound in everything, now Paul says, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Here's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. Listen. He's saying, listen, guys. Church, listen up. You are so gifted. God has gifted you in so many ways. And you are abounding and growing in so many areas. But you're missing out on a key part of what it means to grow in Christ as a follower of him. In other words, Paul is saying to them, as he says to us today, none of these other things, and he gives examples like faith and knowledge and diligence and love, is a substitute for generosity, for growing in the grace of giving. They're abounding, they're abounding or excelling in those areas, in these areas. It didn't carry over to their giving. You know what Paul does? He calls them on it. And so he urges them to grow in this grace also, to go generous. It would be like for us here at our church, for some of us, to be just growing and excelling, abounding in our ministry teams. We're involved, we're faithful, we come every week, we serve. Or maybe, you know, we're not on a weekly ministry team like Awanas or, or here on Sunday mornings in the nursery, but maybe we serve in an outreach event with the Easter extravaganza, trunk or treat, or whatever the case may be. Or maybe we're faithful coming to the worship service and being here. Maybe we're abounding in our, our grow group time and we're, we're participating. Maybe you've even taken a leap of, of a bounce. A jump in your Bible reading. A resolution to read God's Word here. You're growing in that. You're abounding. You're excelling. But there's still this little area 
they have yet to abound in. And Paul says, listen, all those other things are not a substitute for this. You're missing out on a key component of what it means to grow as a Christ follower. And he calls them on the carpet for it. Now, I'm not necessarily going to try to call each and every one of us on the carpet because I think God's word does that by itself. Amen? Here's the deal. In Paul's mind here, this means a lack of generosity on my part. A lack of generosity on our part. At its roots is a spiritual immaturity problem. I say that with love. As one pastor and author writes, listen to his words. He says, there is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without our money. If truth be told, and I say this in all love, this is why some people here this morning reach sticking spots in their spiritual growth. They have yet to grow in this area, the grace of giving. And they're stuck. They're plateaued. Now, I don't know about you, but I admit I identify more with the Corinthian church than the Macedonian church. How about you? Who identifies more with the Corinthian church? Right? All right, you're not raising your hands physically, but in your heart you're going, yeah, unfortunately, that's me. I identify more with the Corinthian church than the Macedonian church. And if that's you, then let me encourage you to take notice of this final principle that Paul gives us. Number five, going generous is a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 8 and 9, Paul talks about the gospel in financial terms. Look what he says. He says, I speak not by commandment. In other words... He's not commanding these Corinthian believers to give. But he is testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus is called rich because he possessed everything. He's the owner, the creator, and ruler of everything. And Jesus possessed all of this before he came to the earth, what we just celebrated Christmas. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus embraced a poverty that didn't fit with who he is so that a divine transfer could take place. Jesus became poor. Why? So that we, who are spiritually poor, could become spiritually rich. That's the gospel in financial terms. It's a beautiful thing. The implication of this is significant. People who have experienced this much generosity ought to overflow with generosity. Again, this is why only those who have experienced the grace of God in their lives can truly respond with joyful generosity. All of this, if I may be so honest, ought to kind of cause us to stop and evaluate and reflect on whether we really know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Listen to the words of Robert Murray McShaney. He was a minister in Scotland in the 1800s, and he writes, I fear there are many here in me who know not well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, you better enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Now, I'll be honest with you. He speaks with a firmness we are not used to. And yet he speaks with a loving truthfulness that we need to hear. Listen, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then don't give your money, because your money will not save you. You need Jesus. You need to first experience the grace of God in your life first and foremost. And until then, nothing else matters in your life. Now, in this first section of these two chapters, 
Paul has been highlighting the generosity of the Macedonian churches. But I want to take a few minutes here to highlight the generosity of another church. That is the Glenwood Church. So many of you have been so generous for so many years in your giving, and especially in this last year. In fact, I honestly believe if Paul were here today and he was writing this book all over again, that he could really use our church as an example of generosity to the Corinthian church. For example, in our general budget, which is our operating budget, our budget last year in 2012 was $294,000. And you gave over $295,000. In other words, we're in the black assuming our spending didn't exceed that, and I can tell you it didn't. So thank you for your generosity in our general budget, our missions budget. Our budget was $90,000, and you gave over $95,000 to Faith Promise, designated to, to our missionaries. And then you add on top of that some other special gifts, and it was around $100,000. So $10,000 over what was budgeted. Generosity. In our love offering, you remember this last summer, we, we took up a love offering for John Bosch and his family. Do you realize, in your generosity, you gave over $6,100 to him and his family to help meet his needs? On top of that, in this Christmas offering that we have, in which you can still give to through the end of the month of January, we have given, so far, over $1,800 for our, to fund our benevolence ministry, which basically goes to help financial assistance for people in our church family and food assistance in our community. Thank you for your generosity. And then many of you who were part of a grow group this last Christmas, as you know, for several years now we do adoptive families at Christmas time. And let me tell you, it was a blessing to be a part of that again. To see these families come at a Christmas dinner down in our church multipurpose room with their kids and to give them Christmas as well as the gospel, and to see the joy on their faces. And that's on top of your giving. Some of you gave to purchase gifts for them or to donate, whatever the case may be. And so thank you for responding with such joyful generosity. Thank you for going generous in your giving. Listen, your generosity makes a difference in people's lives. Your generosity helps us to fulfill our purpose as a church of leading all peoples in our community and beyond to become followers of Christ. Who what? Who know Christ, who grow in Christ, who show Christ, and who go with Christ. That's what your money helps us to do. Your generosity helps meet these needs. And all of this is great news, worthy to be praised, amen? So give a shout out. That was pretty sappy. Now listen, if you were at Bronco Stadium, I could understand that. Well, let's pretend we were at Candlestick Park last night with the 49ers winning. Give a shout out of praise, right? Woo! It's worthy of praise. Thank you for your generosity. It's great news, but, but, here's the bad news. Some of you missed out on this joyful generosity. Some of you have no idea what it means to experience the joy of going generous. And perhaps you've been on the receiving end of someone's generosity. I'm sure most of us have. But as people who have experienced the grace of God, our goal is to grow in the grace of giving, is to go generous as a demonstration of God's love and in response to His grace. And because God's grace is unlimited, let me tell you, there is always room to grow in the grace of giving. Let me give you one example of this. For several years, in fact, about the last five years, our general operating budget, giving in our tithes and offerings has remained relatively flat. Anywhere from about 293000 295 296 for about the last five, six years. Hasn't really gone up. Whereas our giving to missions through Faith Promise has increased steadily. We've done a great job in growing in the grace of giving in our Faith Promise giving. 
I want to challenge us, and myself as well, challenge us as a church to not just go generous in our giving for the gospel around the world, but to go generous in our giving for the kingdom of God here within the Kansas City area through the ministries of our church. How many of you have ever considered, wow, would God want me to increase my tithes and offerings, not just my missions giving? That's something you have to decide. That's something you have to go to God with. So the goal or target here in this series is to go generous. But before we can hit the target, we must first define where we are. So let's close real quickly here with an evaluation and three action steps. Look at this in your notes. Where are you when it comes to going generous? Are you already at the generous living? You're hitting the target? Many of you are. Thank you. Perhaps you're regular giving. Maybe you're just at sporadic giving. You give off and on. Maybe... Your giving is a matter of convenience. If I have it, I give it. If I don't, I don't. Or maybe you're on that bottom outside circle, no giving at all. Let me encourage you to go generally. Say how? Three action steps. Look at it. Coming up on the screen. First of all, identify where you are in going generous. Identify where you are. Number two, ask God, is this where you want me to be in 2013? And then number three, move at least one circle toward generous giving. Now, let me stop here. I will be honest with you. This will require a step of faith to move in a circle toward generosity. It will mean trusting God to meet your needs in this coming year. And ultimately, going generous will require surrendering your finances to the Lord. My prayer for our church as a whole is that the words of Paul in verse 7 here will be our heart's desire. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love, see that you abound in this grace also. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the generosity of yourself and the giving of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you also for the example of these Macedonian believers. And Lord, they have set the bar high. They have raised it high. And yet, through your grace, it is possible that we can go generous and do it joyfully. And I pray that each of us would evaluate, we would identify where we're at. We would ask you, we would seek you, where do you want me to be in 213? And Lord, we would trust you to move one circle forward toward going generous. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. As the praise team sings, we're going to sing just a verse, a chorus here. And perhaps you're here this morning, I, I, I would challenge you, go through these three action steps. In prayer, identify where you're at. Ask God, is this where you want me to be? And ask God for this grace. Ask Him to, for the grace to trust Him to move forward in going generous.